so honored to stand one more time. And it's a blessing to go to church, but it's a, it's a greater honor and a greater blessing to go to church where He's at. And uh, He's here. And uh, He's helping us. He's helping me tonight. And I believe He's got something to say to help you. And uh, let's all stand, take our Bible, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. I'm under a heavy burden. The Lord's just given me this uh, in the last little while. And the more I study on it, think about it, and meditate, the more He adds to it and helps me. And I don't always get out everything I want to get out. But I do believe tonight that God has something uh, to say to each and every one of us here tonight. And um, we'll start reading in verse number 1. We may hop down to my text verse here in just a moment. Let's read verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. The Bible said, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the course of this world. Was anybody ever there? According to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God. But God. But God. who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. With Christ, by grace, are you saved. And hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I believe we're sitting in some heavenly places tonight. Look with me in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. The Lord help me for a little bit this evening. I want to preach on seven ways the blood's still sufficient. Seven ways the blood is sufficient. Please pray with me for me. Father, we do love You. God, for what You've done here in this place already, I lift my hands. God, my heart has been encouraged. I've been helped. I've been spoke to, ministered to. God, we thank You, Lord, that the sweet presence of the Holy Ghost would come by our way. God, I sure don't want to say or do anything to mess it up tonight. I pray, God, Lord, under this burden that You've placed me under, I pray that You would 
speak to the hearts of your people, God, and help us as we cannot help ourselves. Lord, give me power and unction. And I'll thank you for what you do in this place. In Jesus' name and for his sake, and all the Lord's people said, Amen and Amen. You may be seated. It is here in our text tonight where we find what I believe to be one of the most encouraging, everlasting, and enlightening portions of Scripture throughout all of the Bible concerning our standing with the God of all glory. May I say tonight, I believe that we ought to take the next 50 years or probably better said 50 lifetimes and rejoice that the Lord Jesus has redeemed us from our own sin by His own blood. I begin to look at this and study this and meditate on this and there's some things that God has done for those of us who are saved tonight. In verse number 1 through 5, we find that God pulls us from some things. God pulls us from our dead state and God pulls us from a defiled state. Is there anybody here, you remember when you were dead, but not just dead, but defiled? I I can take you back, and, and God forbid it, but I can take you back to moments in my life where I was not uh, just dead, but defiled in my life. Some of you have been there, and my friend, can I say there was absolutely no help for me or you uh, outside of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He pulls us in verse 1 through 5, but then we find in the Word of God that not only does God pull us, but God placed us. Can I say tonight that God, verses 6 through 9, number 1, placed us in His presence. Isn't it amazing tonight that we have sat in the presence of Almighty God? How many times do we take for granted on a Wednesday night? We'll come in, we'll go through the announcements and the prayer requests, and we'll discuss, and we'll share our burdens, and maybe testify. And then, isn't it just like God, as soon as uh, the worship begins, and we begin to lift up His name, and we begin to sing praises unto His name, that, uh, that God is still interested in meeting with His people. It, it still should amaze us tonight that God would come by our way and allow us to sit in His very presence. He places us in His presence, but is anybody glad He has placed us in His promises? They've been several promises tonight done been named and claimed uh, that God said He'd never leave us nor forsake us even when we feel like, Brother uh, brother John, when we feel like that there's no hope and there's no help and we feel like nobody cares. Is there anybody in the house tonight that said God is not just a promise giver but bless His name, He's a promise keeper and He's placed us in His promises. I, for one, I'm glad tonight to know uh, that God's made me some promises and God's placed me in His promises. When everything else fails, glory be to God, Jesus never fails. God has pulled us. God has placed us. God has promised us some things. What's He promised? Well, in verse 6, He promised that we will raise up. Look in verse number 6. I'm hurrying through the introduction. Verse number 6 says, And hath raised us up together. Is anybody glad that you have been lifted from where you were? 
I don't know how in God's name we ever reach a place where we can sit on a pew and sing about He'll never leave us nor forsake us and He'll hold us fast and He's always been true. And I don't know how we can sing that our name's in the Lamb's Book of Life and it seemed like uh, that we can't even call it grunt at the goodness of God. Listen, I want to remind everybody here tonight, uh, had we got what we deserve, we would not be in church. Uh, we would not be saved. Uh, we would not have been lifted out of our defiled uh, and our dead position. But God, who is rich, uh, in mercy wherewith He loved us, uh, He didn't just love us if He saved you. He's lifted you and lifted me tonight. He's raised the, the promise of raising us up, the promise of riches in verse number 7. The Bible said that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding, exceeding riches of, hallelujah, that's what we're talking about, the exceeding riches of His grace. What we witnessed, he's done, he's, Brother Edwards done talked about what we witnessed Brother Tory do. I'm going to tell you what that was. It was very, very rich. The riches of His grace. And not only we have the promise of riches, but glory to be to God, we've got the promise of redemption. Verse number 8 said, For by grace are you saved through faith. That not How many of y'all glad it has nothing to do with me? And it has nothing to do with you. But the Bible said, Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, I couldn't get myself in and glory be to God. I can't get myself out. I'm glad I've got a promise. I'm glad there's eternal life. I'm glad there's eternal hope and help for my soul and for the souls of God's people. Listen, we ought to thank God for the promises. Verse number 10 through verse number 13, God purifies us. The Bible lets us know in verse number 10, we are His workmanship. Somebody say amen. Created in Christ Jesus. He purifies us. How does He do that? But Number one, by His birth. He created us, the Bible said, in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Verse number 12. At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, but having no hope. Is anybody listening? Having no hope and without God in the world. But look here, verse 13. Here it is again, but now. But right, you can read that tomorrow and it still means now. You can read that 35 years from now and it still means now. But now, uh, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off uh, are made nigh by the blood. Listen, uh, you can you can you can go around uh, and try to find anything and everything you want to find uh, to give credit to. But listen to me, uh, there's only one thing that's brought you and I together. Hey, by the way, we be brethren, friend. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a guest. Uh, I'm not a visitor tonight. I'm your brother, uh, uh, my friend. I'm at home uh, right here because uh, we've all been made now by one thing. Uh, it wasn't the name Baptist. Uh, and it wasn't a baptism. And it wasn't this or that. It was the blood of the Lord Jesus that made us nice tonight. 
Can I say, my friend, because He shed His blood, I have something to shout about in you. I have something to shout about. His blood really is sufficient tonight. Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 7. He said, in whom we have redemption through His blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Not only, my friend, is the blood sufficient for our sin and for our salvation, but can I say, I believe the blood is sufficient for both things in heaven and on this earth. I'm going to preach practically tonight. I've never preached the blood this way. But I believe the blood is sufficient in times of sickness. I believe the blood is sufficient in times of sorrow. I believe the blood is sufficient in storms and in times of suffering. I, how many of y'all have claimed the blood in times and in struggles and snares and strongholds with Satan? We don't, hey, I, 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 listen, we don't name and claim nothing but the blood. Am I, am I, is anybody helping me tonight? I'm talking about the blood. Listen, there's a whole lot of things to be thankful for. But my friend, there's only one thing that'll never run out. It'll always be sufficient. And that is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friend, the Bible said in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 and 4, He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrow. And acquainted, look here, with grief. My friend, he's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. And, and we hid it, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we esteemed him not surely. Look here now. This ought to help somebody. I've done been here too long tonight up to know some of y'all's got some hurt. Some of y'all's got some pain. Some of y'all's got sorrows. Some of y'all's got struggles tonight. And brought the Bible said, surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem Him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. Listen, the blood is sufficient for your sorrows. My friend, that deep, dark, dreadful day some 2,000 years ago, on a criminal's cross, the precious Lamb of God spilled His blood so that you and I, at that very moment, could find, obtain, and put our faith in the cure for all of mankind's depravity. Can I say the cure was created at that moment instantaneously as the Son of God hung on the cross dying and God the Father turned His back on Him maintaining His deity while all the forces of hell begin to march around the cross. My friend, and, 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 and cry loud in victory. My friend, it was that day. No other day in history. It was that day when the blood was shed that the vials of grace and mercy that were filled to the brim uh, to treat our every need. Uh, can I say in the midnight hour uh, when you're laying beside the, uh, the bed of a loved one uh, who's fixing to go over, it's Calvary, friend, uh, that'll bring grace to your life. Uh, it's the vows of mercy and of grace that God will bestow to the children in whom believe Him. Can I say whatever men may be in need of today, whether they be saved, lost, rich, or poor, white, black, it does not matter. The blood of the Lord Jesus is sufficient for all things. I want to give you seven ways tonight 
Now I want you to think about these. That the blood is sufficient. Number one, we're not going to turn to all these. I'm just going to name them. Number one tonight, I want you to know this. First of all, that Jesus shed His blood in the garden of Gethsemane. John chapter 9, or excuse me, Luke chapter number 22, you'll find the place of the cup. You'll find this is where Jesus prayed until His sweat turned, as it were, to great drops of blood. Why, preacher, did this happen? Well, Jesus foreknew in the days to come, uh, as soon at the cross, uh, that God the Father would in fact turn His back on Him. There would be a moment of separation between God the Father and God the Son. He would would pay our price. He would not only bear our sin, but become our sin. And He would soon to drink from the wrath of the cup of wrath where our sin would be placed upon Him. And God would forsake Him. My friend, He would endure separation for the first time in the spiritual realm of time. Our sin, our self-pleasure, our sorrows, our griefs would all of a sudden come between Jesus and His Father. May I say, uh, this is one way that Jesus shed His blood. Uh, my friend, the blood uh, will satisfy in times, number one, of isolation. You know what Jesus has to do? He has to be alone. Is there anybody here tonight that you come to church but you feel alone? It don't matter how many handshakes you get, hugs around the neck, how many times the preacher tells you he loves you, how many times your Sunday school teacher says they love you, how many times your husband or your wife tells you they love you, how many times your children say they love you. As there's times that we all go through, we feel unloved. There's times that we look. Uh, I was listening to a preacher today, and he said, Brother Edward, I listened to that, preacher from brother, uh, that message from Brother John, and he said, I know you all better than me. He said, but when I was laying up there and that I see you, that unit in that bed on a ventilator. He said, I wondered where God was. He said, I wondered if God even knew where I was. He said, I wonder if I've been ever even been saved. I wonder if I've been caught. Has anybody ever been there? You feel isolated. You feel separated. You feel overwhelmed by fear and by doubt. But my friend, I want to remind you, over 2,000 years ago, God turned the lights out on His only begotten Son. Therefore, He'll never turn the lights out on you and me tonight. My friend, the blood is still sufficient when you feel like no one's there. Go back to a garden some 2,000 years ago where God did, in fact, separate Himself from the lovely Savior, the Lord Jesus. My friend, God would turn His back on Him, leave Him and forsake Him only because He took our sin and our sorrow. And I say because of this moment, because of this spiritual movement between God and the Son, and because of the Messiah being willing to submit Himself to the will of the Father. Does everybody remember what He prayed? Now help me now. Not my will. He knew what was coming. Yet He's seen you and me. Glory be to God. 2,000 years ago, Paul said in Romans chapter 8, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able. Somebody ought to thank God. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Listen, it don't matter how we feel. We've got to learn we can't make it by feel. We've got to walk by faith. And I'm looking at people. You look like you've got it all together. You look like everything's fine in your world. But you know, as well as I know, there's somebody here tonight feeling like God has forgot about you. But I've done come to tell you that the love of God will never run. It'll never expire. It'll never run dry. God has not left you because Jesus allowed Him to leave Himself. Some 2,000 years ago. I'm going somewhere. I really got somewhere I want to go. Seven ways. That one is sufficient for those times of separation. But then secondly, Jesus shed His blood at the whipping post. John chapter 19, we won't read it again for sake of time. The first ten verses, we'll find that this is the place of chastisement. This whipping post is twofold. There are two different occasions of Jesus shedding His blood at the whipping post. The first I want to make mention of tonight is this. At the whipping post, Christ was beaten. The Bible said this is where the Roman soldiers would take the cat of nine tails and they would lash him. Paul said they uh, 40 saved one 39 times. And where did they strike our lovely Savior? The Bible said they would take that cat of nine tails and they sunk it into the meat and to the bones of his back, uh, opening his back, exposing uh, the inwards of our Savior's back uh, as the blood would pour down the backs of his legs. Uh, uh, these 39 stripes are given uh, out of custom. Uh, uh, but may I say, if you begin to think uh, what Jesus came to do, uh, not only to, feel, f- f- to fulfill the law, but to overcome and conquer the law. Uh, I read my Bible. That, those, uh, that, that Old Testament's got 39 books. Uh, and for every single book, uh, our Savior took a stripe. Uh, uh, my friend, for Christ, uh, it's the end of the law for righteousness. The Bible said to everyone that believeth, Galatians 2.16 said, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even when we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law. Paul wrote to the church Galatians, he said in chapter 2, verse 21, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Can I say Jesus shedding His blood at the whipping post from the tenderness of His own back, this blood satisfies. What, what does this satisfy? Well, has anybody here ever been tempted with walking away? I ain't the only one. I know it's Wednesday. I don't scream the crop. I know this is the faithful crowd. I understand all that. But even, listen, as the pastor, I can't tell you the times I've wanted to raise the white flag of surrender, turn my back, and walk away. But I've come to tell you the blood will satisfy you. 
When you feel like turning your back on God and walking away, would you please revisit a whipping post where the Lamb of God would be slain in the back, where they would defile and destroy His back, where the blood would run down at the backs of His legs. The next time you want to turn away and walk away, hey, I've come to tell you, just go back to the whipping post where the Lamb of God would show us His love. He would show us you don't have to turn your back. I've already exposed mine. There really is a way to overcome these times of doubt and these times of depression, these times of these times of temptation, these times of sorrow. What about what about these times of Anxiety. You don't know why most people want to give up? They get overwhelmed. Listen, I ain't here to throw rocks at nobody. You want to give up because it just gets too much. But can I tell you, it does not ever get too heavy for Him. And the next time you want to turn your back, would you take a look at His? Think about this, at that whipping post, Jesus shed his blood. This is the third re- this is the third way. His blood is sufficient. It was there at the whipping post that they would take a crown of thorns and place it upon his head. As I begin to think about this, I had to go back to Genesis chapter number three, where a lady by the name of Eve saw that the tree was good for fruit and that it was pleasant to the eye and one to make one wise. And so she partook of that fruit and the Bible said this, and Adam did follow Adam. Uh, you know what he done? Listen, this is exactly what he done. He looked at his wife and thought, I love this woman. She's going to die and I love her, and he did have a choice in the matter. What got him messed up? Same thing that gets a lot of us messed up. The mind. Because when he looked at her and thought, now all of a sudden things have changed and I must do whatever it takes to, 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 to prove, maybe to prove my love to her or just because he really loved her that much, his mind was overcome. His mind was filled with doubt. His mind was filled with disobedience. Anybody ever had to battle your mind? I can't tell you the times I've opened my Bible to preach and the most ungodly stuff you ever thought of I will flood my mind. I can't tell you the times that I've looked and I've evaluated things and my mind goes to doubting God. My mind goes contrary to what I know is the will of God. I've come to tell you that when Jesus shed His blood with the crown of thorns, He did so to help you overcome your mind. Genesis chapter number 3. We don't have time to look. I wish I could. I could preach on this for six months. Can I say in Genesis chapter number 3, here's what we'll find. Not only <clears throat> does he fall into sin and, and, and uh, the devil and, and, and Eve, they're, they're, they're cursed. We understand the Bible said this, that God cursed the devil 
And then God told Eve, that she, uh, told her, said, now comes travail in childbirth. And then he looked at Adam. You can go read it and get home. This is what he said. He did not curse Adam. He cursed the ground. Genesis chapter number 3, the Bible says this in verse 17, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of life. Notice this in verse 18, Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. And in the sweat of thy face shall thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou taken, for dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. First thing that's corrupted and cursed, when Adam, the first Adam falls, his mind gets in the way of the will of God for his life, the first thing that comes out of the ground is thorns. You don't have to take my word for it. Read your Bible. He, 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 listen, and there's a whole lot more that came with the cursing of the ground, but the first thing listed in Genesis 3 is thorns. Isn't it amazing that when the first Adam thought the wrong way, disobeyed, doubted God, believed the deception of the devil, he allowed his head to bring forth the cursing of the ground, and his mind and thorns uh, is what were produced. But then the second Adam came. And the very thing that the first Adam produced in his sin, the very thing that the first Adam brought forth upon all men, the Lord Jesus took that same curse and wrapped it around his own brow as the blood would come and trickle down the face of our Lord. Those thorns were not like ones you get in your finger. My friend, they went to the skull. They went into the brow of our Lord. I've Come to pray tonight for those of you uh, who are battling your mind, uh, for those of you who are doubting in your mind, uh, for those of you who are allowing disobedience uh, and you're having thoughts of discouragement uh, and defilement, my friends, uh, uh, the blood still satisfies. Uh, uh, my friend, God, uh, wrapped in flesh, came and shed his blood so you and I could be satisfied in our mind. And Paul said in Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your... 1 Corinthians 2, 16, for he hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. Paul said, but we have the mind of Christ. And can I say this? You can't overcome those bad thoughts, those doubtful thoughts, those jealous thoughts. Those discouraging thoughts because the blood of the Lord is still sufficient. Thirdly, I'm hurrying along. I really want to get to the end. Thirdly, Jesus shed His blood when they drove those nails through His hands. Take your Bible quickly and go into Proverbs 31. I want to show you something. This is the virtuous woman. Proverbs chapter number 31 Look with me in verse 16. Proverbs 31, 16. If you're there, say amen. The Bible says, She considereth a field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. Look in verse 31 of the same chapter. 
very last verse. The Bible said, Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. I begin to think about the driving of the nails through the hands of our Lord. And this is what the Lord has spoke to my heart about. This virtuous woman, the Bible said that God allows her to, and notice the wording of verse 16, she considereth a field and buyeth it with the fruit of her hands. She planteth a vineyard. You know what these are? These are instruments of service. Can I say that the fruit of the hands that all throughout the Scripture will carry that same meaning, if you will. My friend, these are the instruments of service. These are what God has given us to be able to serve Him. And it's here in our text. The Bible lets us know that this virtuous woman looks out over a field, but not only does she see a field, she considereth it and buyeth it. And by the time her life's over, the fruit of her hands, she had planted a vineyard. Now listen to me. There's times I get in the pulpit at Stillwater Baptist Church, London, Kentucky, 2014 Ferriston Road, and I look out and I see a vineyard. I see fruit. I see Brother Caleb. Come in. Wasn't right with the Lord. Him and his wife is his testimony. Didn't live for God. Party, drank, done all the things the world does. What do you, what else do you expect? But here he is now, two years in, the Lord's called him to preach. His wife's one of the most sweetest ladies in the church. Serves God, loves God, loves her husband. He'll tell you, I don't have to do it, but I'll do it because I'm going to preach it. He'll tell you that he did not have a clue how to be a husband. And she'll tell you she did not have a clue how to be a wife. And they'll tell you they had no idea how to be godly parents. But now, things have changed. What are you saying, Brother Josh? I'm saying there's Sundays I get up there and all I see is an old rickety, raggedy old field. All I see is the tumbleweed blowing across and the broken down fences and the dried up tree stumps that need somebody needs to get out of the way. And I see that field and I think, what am I doing? And you know what you're tempted to do when you look out and consider your field and you can't see that vineyard? You're, you're, you want to, you know, I've said this, I'm ready to throw my hands up. That's your service. That's where we get that from. I'm ready to throw my hands up. What usually follows is this, and quit. But can I say, if you'll stay faithful to God, I really believe, I've seen it with my own eyes. You know what God wants for Brother Caleb? He wants to be, for Brother Caleb one day have to stand back and see in his life what I see in his life. He's seeing someone else's life. Here's what I see now. When they walked in, they just walked in. It might have just looked like an old field. But now, it's turned into a vineyard. Now, when the congregation begins, begins to sing, his little boy is the first one. He's what, two, three? One half? Throws his hand up. Right off the get-go. You know what I see? I see more in a hand. 
I see sweet grape juice running out the corners of his mouth. And this little girl, when Mama gets up and it's altar call and Brandy, Miss Brandy goes to altar. Here comes little Allie, and she'll go up there and tuck up under her Mama's arm and close her eyes. And most of the time, I get a peek or two. Y'all with me? You know what I see? I see grape stains all over that family. I, I, there's times when God will get the moving, they'll we'll get the singing, the preacher will get started. It ain't even invitation time. It ain't, it ain't nothing special. But Miss Brandy will get up with the glory of God dripping off of her. You know what I see? I see a, a virtuous woman toting a whole basket full of grapes. Hey, man. And when old brother Caleb will get out in the preacher's fellowship on Saturday and rear back and preach the power of God, like three years ago, didn't even know nothing about God hardly. But now he's got God on him. I'll see a big old great jelly stain and biscuits all over him. Why? Because that field has turned into a vineyard. You know why the devil fights you serving him so bad? Because he knows if he can get you to throw these up, all you'll ever have is a field. And I thank God for a field, but it's the will of God for that field to turn into a vineyard. And when you feel like surrendering your service, throwing up your instruments of service, can you please go back to the cross where he shed his blood? He allowed them to pierce his hands so you'd never throw yours up. What about the nails through his feet? That's for our steps. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we can all quote it. Trust the Lord with all thine heart, lean not on thy own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. That's the will of God for our lives. You know God don't want you walking anywhere you want to walk. He wants you to follow him. And here's what my, this is just the way I think. I got the picture and he shall direct my past. He's the leader and I'm the follower. Y'all sing that song I had, deciding to follow Jesus. They pierced his feet and here's where my mind went. It's not hard to see where he's going because I, in my mind, he's leaving a blood trail from them bloody feet. And every step I take, it's done being covered by the blood. Every move I make, it's done been covered by the blood. Hey, listen to me. The devil wants to detour our steps. How many spots do y'all see empty that was not empty? Because they took one wrong step. They made one wrong move. That's what the devil wants. He's not going to just bring your whole world down on you. He's going to throw up an exit sign. Right when the going gets rough and right when the journey's been long and when things are getting a little wearisome and tiresome, that's when he'll pop up a detour in your life and it seems easier and it seems better and the grass seems greener, but you're getting off the trail. When you get off the trail, all of a sudden, that grace... That mercy, that goodness. Amen. Let me tell you something. If He's leading and you're following, surely goodness and mercy shall follow you. 
all the days of your life. And you can dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's not only in front of you, He's behind you. And He's the most, somebody ought to help me. I know it's Wednesday, but bless God, we ain't Sunday school. Somebody help me for a minute. I'm talking about the God of the universe has painted a blood trail every direction. What's it make? North, south, east, and west. No matter what direction, there's a cross. And He's paid the debt. And the blood's been shed. You can be satisfied with your steps. Because the blood's been shed through His feet. But then, not only do we see the blood and the crown of thorns and then His back and then His hands and then His feet. But then, I'm reminded that the Bible said, <coughs> excuse me, when He's hanging on the cross, they took a spear and they pierced His side. Now this was not just something they chose to do. It was It was strategic. They they would place that spear in such a location that it, it to see if the whoever was being crucified to see if they were really dead or not it would go in and pierce the heart. Can I say I believe that most Christians struggle because they have been scarred in the heart. I believe most Christians struggle and give up and get out because they are sorrowful in their heart. I need somebody to listen to me tonight. I know I'm not doing it justice, but listen to me. I'm telling you tonight that there is a Savior, my friend, that they pierced his side and it went into the heart and his heart. He shed blood when they pierced his heart. Is there anybody here tonight suffering from a saddened heart? Is there anybody here tonight suffering with sorrow in your heart? What about this? Is there anybody here who's got sins well? in your heart. What about scars? Does anybody ever feel like David when he said this, my heart is overwhelmed? Y'all with me, ain't you? And I found out along the way that most people have things in their heart that they do not want to be revealed for some extent, for some scars, or it could be something else. But my friend, until you deal with your broken heart, no matter the reason, you cannot be 100% effective for God. You're hindering and holding yourself back because your heart's broken. But He's provided the cure for a broken heart because He shed His blood. His own heart has been bursted. His own heart, I need you to hear this, has been broken. You know how many people get, just get so defeated when they get broken hearted? Anybody ever been heartbroken in the church world? Come on, somebody. Quick place to get it, ain't it? Because we love one another. We respect one another. We hold one another really too high. And our hearts suffer the consequence. Listen, I could I could go just like all of you. We could all sit down and write a book on how many times our heart has been hurt. And if you're not careful, if that's all you sit and meditate on, you're going to be in your place. I'm going to ask you something. Will you really be serving Him? You know you can serve God not serving. Y'all looking at me like it's the first time you've heard preaching like this. You, you, listen, you can serve God and not serve Him. 
Do you know I can preach and not preach? I get up here and waste an hour of your time, my time, God's time, and preach. And everybody says, man, he preached. But God says, I ain't hear no preaching. What, what solidifies our service? You don't know why God's going to try our works? It has nothing to do with what we've done. There would be no need to try the works if they were all good. We say, well, He's going to bring up those good works and bad. The Bible said that those good works, listen, they're only good if they're sincere and out of the abundance of the heart. What did the Bible tell us? said, love the Lord thy God with all your soul and mind. The Lord Jesus' blood will satisfy a wounded heart. This is where I want to go. But there's one place I believe people miss, that Jesus shed his blood. Um, let's, let's, let's just look there. we got time. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. I'm just trying to encourage you on Wednesday night that you do not have to go through this thing half-hearted. You don't have to go through this thing being hurt. You don't have to go through this thing being hindered. There is a cure for every problem. There's only one thing that will satisfy all these things, though. That's the blood. Some of y'all have taken a wrong step. How are you going to get back on track? The blood. Some of y'all have done throwed your hands up and surrendered to your service. How are you going to get back in the fight? The blood. Well, let's read this together quickly if we could. Isaiah chapter number 53. And, uh, excuse me, let's look in verse number 5. The Bible says this. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Does anybody know what a bruise is? It's internal bleeding. You can be satisfied. How many of y'all know, this is my experience and I believe it to be true everywhere, most people's biggest setback dwells on the inside and hardly if anybody even knows about it. These are the things that keep people down and out. They can fix the alt, but what about the bitterness and the malice? They can fix the broken relationship, but what about the doubt and the fear and the depression? They can, they can fix their mistake, they'll repent, but then they've got to battle those scars that they don't even want to think about themselves. They're on the inside. I was preaching for Brother Robert Robinson a few weeks ago. Brother Jared came over. And uh, I got to preaching, and, and, and I, I, I wasn't preaching this message, but I mentioned this part. And boy, God led me down a road I really didn't want to trap down. And I made this statement. I said, fact is, there's probably a young woman in here right now, or women, and you are miserable on the inside because of what someone has done to you. You've been abused, and nobody knows about it. 
you do realize not every victim says what's happened. Hello? And I said, there may be grown women in here tonight. You have been abused mentally, physically, emotionally, even spiritually, if you will. You realize that there's little girls that go to church and it's somebody there that they respect and hold in high regards. That's the very one that hurts them and harms them. They've never told nobody. There's things you have done you've never told your husband or your wife, or your wife because you, it hurts so bad that you don't even want to look at it. But it's in there. And there's always something holding you back. And you feel like there's nothing that can cure or satisfy that spot on the inside. Somebody you loved. I made this statement in South Carolina. I said there's probably a man or a woman here that you thought your spouse really loved you. And everybody else thought they really loved you. But turns out, it was pretty easy for them to walk away. And there's something down here that you've never got help and healing for. I I don't know if y'all feel, but I really feel like this is where God does the ministering in this message. Good people. Deal with terrible things. Some are self-inflicted. Some are not. You know it don't have to be a feeling or, or, or an emotion or, or something on the inside towards someone else that can eat you up. It can be something you've done that you just can't get over. And it's deep down in there. And you try to think about it, but then it's just so hurtful. And you don't want to face it. And it brings up so many bad memories. And you're overwhelmed by so many thoughts and feelings. And it's all negative. And you just feel like if I just keep pushing it down and tucking it away, eventually it will disappear. But I've come to tell you, you're going to have to dig that thing out. Or it'll bury you. I want you to think about this, Brother Edward. I'm trying to hurry. I know it's Wednesday. Y'all got work. I passed it, so I'm, I'm trying to be mindful. In the Old Testament, there's a man by the name of Abraham who has a wife named Sarah. Sarah at first. And God's told him that he's going to give him a son. Promised him. But what happens? They get impatient. Sarah says, well, Abraham, God's apparently not going to do it. We've got a handmaid by the name of Hagar. If you would, go lie with her and see if we can't get a child that way. Sure enough, Abraham does, goes lays with Hagar. From that relationship comes a child by the name of Ishmael. You can go home fact check me. I, I'll give you the, I got it all written down. I ain't going to quote it or read it for the sake of time. If you need it, I'll give it to you. The Bible lets us know that from that child, uh, the Bible said from the very beginning, God said that Ishmael's going to be a wild man. But two times, God makes a promise to Ishmael. Despite the, despite the way it came about, God says this two times that I found to him. He said, I will make of you a great nation. 
Now, it wasn't going to be like Isaac, but he wasn't getting kicked to the curse. Then all of a sudden, God up there does what He said, and Sarah gets pregnant, brings forth a son, and calls his name Isaac. And at 13 years old, you can check me, i got the references, I'll give them to you. At 13 years old, Abraham walks Ishmael and Hagar out to the wilderness with a bottle of water and leaves them to die. Sarah said, she's laughing at our little boy. She had hatred in her heart because of the things she done. And said, get rid of them. Now, I want you to understand something. Sarah's not the mother of Ishmael, but Abraham is the father. And a 14-year-old boy don't understand that mama and, and daddy, that this thing wasn't God's will, and they got impatient. He, he's not processing all that. All he knows is, well, God says he's going to make a great nation of me. But my daddy just walked me out in the wilderness and left me to die. He's 14 years old when that takes place. A year goes by. And what do we know about Ishmael? He turned out to be the wild man. It's not a great nation at all. It's one of the worst nations on planet earth to this day. Ishmaelites are wild men. They're angry men. They're vicious men. They're bitter men. They're hateful men. They're violent men. But God did not waste His words. There was potential for them to be a great nation. Here's where I want to get to. What went wrong? That's why I want to preach to everybody here five minutes. Because when Ishmael seen Abraham, he seen that that man's supposed to be what the Bible says, a friend of God. He looks at the father, if you will, of the hall of faith. Because of Abraham's faith, it was counting him for righteousness. He looks at God as doing all this. God, out of all men, made a covenant, an everlasting covenant with my daddy. And this is what I get. Here's the mistake he made. He did not separate Abraham and the God of Abraham. He was bitter with Abraham, but here's his mistake. He blamed God for the things that's, that a man of God done. And he got pitted with God, but it was not God's fault. You know what we do? We allow people that we love, respect, most of the time God's people, to get in between our relationship between us and God. And God's not the one that walked us to the wilderness. God's not the one that gave us a bottle of water and said, Good luck. It feels that way, but God did not do that to you. And I've come to tell you tonight, whatever it is on the inside that is going to fix it to kill you, and it's been eating at you for years, listen, you can go to God. You don't have to be hesitant. You don't have to say, it was not God. It might have been somebody that was supposed to be His friend, but you must draw the line. It was not God that done you that way. He could have been a great nation, but he did not know how to draw the line between the friend of God and God. 
So I've come to tell you tonight, for whatever's on the inside of you, you can go to God, and His blood will satisfy. He paid for all those deep, dark things on the, on the inside with His own blood because He shed His blood inwardly. In Isaiah 53, when He was bruised. You know what the Bible said? It pleased God when they bruised Him. Why would it please God to, when they bruised His Son? Because He knew you and I would sit in church pews with things deep down here that were killing us. But even then, we can look at the seven ways He shed His blood, and they're all six outwardly except for this one. And that's why I believe the Bible still says in the book of Hebrews that He is touched with the feelings. Where's feelings at? He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. So and so done you wrong. That husband that claimed to love God turns out he loved his, his flesh, his lust. That wife said, I love God, but really she loved herself more than she ever loved God or you, and they, they, they walked away. Or maybe you're the one that walked away. Hello? Can I get personal for like two minutes? I've got a daddy. Right now, he's came a long ways. God's really worked in his life. Today's his birthday. If you watch his dad, happy birthday. I love you. But he made this statement one time in church, and he meant well, but it killed me. My daddy, when I was a boy, the Lord called him to preach. He pastored a church for a little while. My whole life, until the age of 14, he raised us right, and my mom raised us right, but my dad got in sin. At the age of 14. I've never said that. I've just told you my whole family got out of church at 14 to 18. But it was my dad's fault. He got in sin within the church. We didn't have a choice. We had to leave. Boy, the devil pounced on my family. And it was during them years. Y'all remember me mentioning my sister to you? She's still way out there. And all that took place during those four years. My daddy's called to preach. He's repented. He's, he's serving God. But he don't show up in his preacher clothes when it's time for the preachers to preach. He won't hardly get in the pulpit. And this is what he said one night. He said, Son, I've decided I'm content with being a king maker. I don't need to be a king. That eat me up. Because God... You understand his terminology, don't you? I'm okay with you preaching. But God ain't forgot about the day he called him. You don't know what's keeping him from serving God? Those things that he won't let go, that he has caused. And my whole family, all these years later, 16 years later, from 14 to where I am now, we're still seeing the results what took place in them years. Brother Edward, God is tenderizing me during this process. Because I'm so burdened. I'm telling you what I'm telling you is I'm very personal with y'all and I don't know why. I'm afraid God's going to pull my sister out of this world. It's that serious. Two, three years ago, she almost died. Some of y'all remember that. 
a rare blood disease. See, we didn't know she's in her sin. She's in her sin then. We didn't know it. A rare blood disease that's not in the history of my family to come over her. They life-flighted her as quick as they could put blood, plasma, and platelets and all that. They were fighting one another. She was dying. They done told my mama and my daddy, you might as well get ready. She's probably not going to make it. God spared her life, and we just shouted and think. But you know what God was doing then? You better wake up. Brother David, I hope to God I'm wrong. But I'm telling y'all, if she don't deal with that hurt, she told us things that happened to her as a little girl. She's not blaming them. She's just told us things that happened to the little girl, and it's led her step by step. The devil detoured her as a young girl. She's been harmed. She's been hurt. And now she believes because of those things she don't have a choice but to live this certain way. And it's killing my mama. It's killing my daddy. It's killing me. And she won't deal. You know what she's believed? It can't be dealt with. But I've come to tell you tonight, it can't. God's tenderizing. He's, I'm telling you, He's squeezing me. I've never been way out there to the right or the left. I've never been one of them just condemn everybody. That's never been me. But I have been one to look and say, well, I guess we've seen what they really were. And not know the details. Pharisee. Judgmental, hypocritical. Pharisee is what I've been. God's making me walk down some roads now to realize, son, you better be careful what you say. There's folks in here tonight, I believe it. You got things on that inside. And I've come to tell you there's only one thing that'll satisfy the hurt. The wounds, the scars, whatever you're hiding. And that's the blood. Father, I love you. And Lord, I hope and pray that you will take the time this evening to visit your children and to speak into their hearts as only you can. I cannot help nobody. Lord, I am trusting you tonight. Bless this invitation, please, for Jesus' sake. Amen and amen.